We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today. And I'm excited to be able to bring the word to you. Can we all stand up together as we read God's word? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 6 says this. Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today thankful that we're able to gather together, thankful that we have your word as a guide to us in this life. And so, Lord, I pray as we just spend a few moments digging into it, that we would recognize that you are God and that we are not, that we would recognize that your word holds authority and our opinions do not. I pray, Lord, that, that you would um, help us see warnings from the examples given to us in your Bible that we might not fall into the same traps that they did, but rather, Lord, we would um, be better image bearers of you into a world that is lost and broken. God's in your son's name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, about seven years ago, I did something that was going to affect me for the rest of my life. I got a cat. Uh, and here's a picture of him. No, do not awe this cat. Do not. This is a spawn of Satan right here. This cat, I love cats, but this cat, let, let me just explain the backstory of how I got this cat. Um, Michael Masterpool, where is he at? Is he in here? He might be counting. There he is, right there. Okay. So this cat was actually his. His name is Kodiak. And how many years did you have him for? A year or so? Well, this cat decided in his infinite wisdom to maul their daughter, right? Yeah, pretty bad. So this cat was left with two options, um, find a new home or find a new home with the Lord. Those were the two options I was giving it. So me and my abundant grace came in and redeemed this cat. I'm, the, I'm this cat's kinsman redeemer, which if you don't know what that is now, that is kind of weird. Anyways, I am this cat's redeemer. I come in and I give this cat a new life, a new home. And this cat doesn't do anything that it doesn't want to do. That's what this cat does. This cat, if you try to get this cat to do something it doesn't want to do, you know what it does? It scratches you. It claws you. I don't know if you can see this. There's a scar right here. That's from this cat. Well, um, I welcomed this cat into my home. We become best buds. I was uh, not married at the time. And with this cat, a little bit later, I started to notice fleas everywhere in my home. Michael, I think it was a joke. He's like, I'm going to give this flea-infested cat to Chris. No. So fleas start to get everywhere. I see them all over Kodiak. Kodiak's nipping at himself and scratching himself. I'm scratching myself because I've got fleas now too. I try to give him the, the collar. The collar doesn't work. And so I resort to a bug bomb. So I go to the store, get a bug bomb. You set it off in your, your house. Or actually, I was in an apartment. Uh, you set it off in the apartment. And it says on the bug bomb... Don't be in the room when it happens. Take your pets out of the room as well. Well, I was in these uh, Azelwood apartments right here across the street. And uh, I get Kodiak into a kennel, like a cat kennel. Now, again, Kodiak doesn't do anything that Kodiak doesn't want to do. So he's got four legs out, not letting me get him in there, scratch me. I finally get him in there. He's struggling. I take him outside. We're on the second uh, floor. And so I set him right here where the stairs are. And then I need to go inside and set off the bug bombs. So, so I set it, set them down, go inside. 
Now a few seconds later, I hear. <laughs> now before, <laughs> before you call Peter on me, he's fine. He's doing great. Um, but I, I stop the bug bomb and I go outside and sure enough, that kennel is no longer at the top of the stairs. That kennel has made its way all the way down the stairs. Now, now here's, here's the thing. This cat was living, like the, the situation that he was living in was not good, right? Like there was flies, or not flies, but fleas everywhere. He's like gnawing on himself. And, and here's, here's my goal. My goal is to take him into a time of transition for just a moment so that we can take care of the problem and then bring him back into it. That, that, that was the goal. He could not see further than what was in front of his face. And so he was struggling against that the whole way. And because of his struggle, it made that transition period much harder than it needed to be. And it made it where he fell down a flight of stairs. I would like to say that he learned, but he didn't. The Israelites found themselves in a very similar situation in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians for about 400 years. And uh, God came in and he said, you are my people. I'm going to um, liberate you out of this slavery. And we are going to head to the promised land that I promised your forefathers. But in between the um, liberation out of slavery and uh, the entrance into the promised land, we are going to go through a transition time in the wilderness. And because of the Israelites' stubbornness and stiff-necked arrogance, Bible's words, not mine, because of that, that wilderness time was more difficult than it needed to be and lasted longer than it was supposed to be. They wandered the wilderness for 40 years, but this trip, fun fact, this trip could have been taken in about 11 days. An 11-day trip turned into 40 years because of the Israelites' stubbornness. And we're going to look into today where maybe they had went wrong, because if you don't know, we are also in an intermediary wilderness time in our life. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you are in the, what's known as the already but not yet, meaning that, that you are already saved by God, but we are awaiting salvation from God. Like we are redeemed by God, but yet we're awaiting full redemption from God. We have been set free from our sin and from the slavery of sin, and yet we are still not fully freed from our sin. We are in this intermediary time where we are in the wilderness on our way to our final destination. And what I want to do is I want to look at how the Israelites responded to God in the wilderness and see where maybe they messed up and just take a step back and, and see if we can learn from them. And that's the whole point of the passage that we read earlier, 1 Corinthians 10. Let, let's go ahead and read it again. It says, now these things, and in the context, what's talking about these things are referring to the events that happened with the Israelites in the wilderness. These things that happened with them took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. And so what I want to do is I want to heed the Bible's warnings and investigate and analyze where the Israelites went wrong so that we might not fall into the same pit holes that they did. So we're going to look into a couple of scenarios that took place with the Israelites in the wilderness. And um, what I really think the, the problem was, I think it boils down to, to this, they just had a poor memory. 
They had a poor memory of where they came from. They had a poor memory of what God did for them. And they had a poor memory of what God promised for them and where God was taking them. And so I think if we can hammer down those things, if we can remind ourselves of those things, then we can uh, enter into our intermediary wilderness time, not like my cat, um, resisting it and making the more difficult, but rather as followers of Christ, fully trusting God and fully having faith in God and, and getting through this intermediary time much easier. So what I'm going to give you is three reminders for us while we're in the wilderness. All right, we're going to hop around in a few different passages. The first one we're going to start at is Numbers 11. Numbers 11, 4 says this, the riffraff, which is talking about the Israelites. I love the Bible's affectionate language for the Israelites. It's pretty great. The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. Let's stop right there. So if you don't know, um, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they started to experience different struggles. And one of the first struggles they experienced was food. What are we going to eat? And so God ultimately provided for them and provided a food. Does anyone know what it was? It was manna. And long story short, manna literally translates to what is this? They, they didn't know what it was, but, but for all intents and purposes, it was basically like a flaky bread that would appear all across the ground in the morning. And their job was to go out and collect it. And then later on, it tells us that they formed it with spices and formed it into little cakes. And it tasted like the fine, or it tasted like pastries made with the finest oils. So not, not a bad thing to eat, right? Fine pastries. Like I went to Costco and they had like danishes and I went and ate those. That wouldn't be a bad thing to eat for the rest of my life. All right, so they had these fine pastries. That started in Exodus 16. And from Exodus 16 to Numbers 11, where we get to, to today, about a year has passed. So they've had a year of eating manna at this point. And it took about a year for them to say, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Okay, so that's where we pick it back up. Numbers 11.4. The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, the melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our appetite is gone because there's nothing to look at but this manna. Sounds an awful lot like my two-year-old, right? Like I'll, I'll make her a meal, go through the whole process, set the meal down in front of her, and she'll say, I don't want that. I want a popsicle. Like two-year-olds, Israelites, similar. They're, they're, they're together. Okay. Now, the problem that I want to dig into isn't so much that they were wanting things other than what God had provided for them. That's, that's a different sermon for a different day. What I want to dig into is the problem of how they remembered their time in Egypt. Did, did y'all catch how they described their time in Egypt? Verse 5. We remember the free fish that we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, and garlic. Now, why is it interesting that they described it as free fish? Because they were slaves. What do you mean free fish? You think the Egypts are just giving you this out of the goodness of their heart? No, you were slaves. You were brutally enslaved to work manual labor. It's like if I was to take you and make you work hard labor for 12 hours a day, not giving you a break, and then giving you free pizza. Actually, we do that with the student ministry. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe we should reevaluate that. Okay, where... They went wrong. There is their memory. Their memory has greatly failed them in this moment. 
Their memory has um, held on to all of the good things and stripped all of the bad things out of it. So where you might look back on their time in Egypt and say, man, they were enslaved. Like eating pastries in the desert is better, or sorry, eating pastries in the desert free is better than being enslaved and eating fish. But, but they didn't see it that way. They completely removed the idea that they were enslaved and, and only focused on the good things. They focused on the fish. Like maybe they even gave them like Chick-fil-A sauce to dip it in. They were so consumed by that that they misremembered their time there. And, and whenever you misremember what life was like in the past, what it's going to cause you to do is doubt God's goodness in the present. And that's what happened to them. And that leads us to our first reminder for the wilderness is to remind yourself of where you came from. Remind yourself of where you came from. And maybe I need to put like a little like disclaimer on that is accurately remind yourself of where you came from. Just like the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt, the Bible says that all of us were enslaved to our sin. Jesus said in John 8 that if you, are, if you practice sin, you are a slave to sin, meaning that prior to Christ, you were a sinner. It is what you did. It was your master. It told you what to do. But if Christ has come in and liberated you out of that sin, then that means that you are no longer, it's no longer your master. You no longer have to, have to do exactly what it says. You're liberated from it. But here's, here's the problem that we run into, is the more distance that gets in between Christ saving you from your sin and onward, the more distance that goes on, we start to forget what life was really like before Christ. And so we start to over-glorify our life before Christ because it was just so much easier. You start to remember all the good times and you start to forget all the destructive toll that it took on your life. And that's what happened with the Israelites here. They were over-glorifying their past in Egypt. And so uh, they were struggling out in the wilderness and they said, we got free fish there. Let's go back and do the free fish. And, and sin is a clever master because he'll do the same thing to us. He'll come up to us and, and he'll remind you whenever you're struggling in, in your walk with God, whenever you're struggling in the wilderness, he'll come up and he'll, he'll say, hey, do you remember all the pleasures you had before this? Do you remember how you didn't have to answer to anyone but yourself? Do you remember how you could say whatever you want, do whatever you want, and you didn't have to worry about anything? Yet it will conveniently leave out the fact that you were enslaved to your sin and there was a brokenness, a meaninglessness, a despair, and a destructive toll that it took on your life. And so we need to remind ourselves of our time before Christ, remind ourselves of where we came from. Now, the point of that isn't to be self-loathing. The point of that isn't to, um, you know, be sadistic in our, our life. The point of that is if we can remind ourselves accurately of where we came from, then now we can see clearly what God has done for us and what God is doing in us. And we see in the Israelites that after God um, liberated them out of uh, Egypt, uh, one of the first things that he started to work on with them was their heart. Like, like the old adage that says that God loves you exactly the way you are, but God loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And so God immediately starts to work on their heart. And so he takes them to Mount Sinai. And at, my, at Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments. And the whole point of the Ten Commandments is to help them strip the baggage that 
400 years in Egypt had brought upon them. They had started to pick up a lot of the pagan practices of the Egyptians, and so God gives them these Ten Commandments just to, to let them know, hey, this is not how you live life. Like things like, I am the one true God. You shall have no other gods before me. Like, like uh, things like, don't make an idol to communicate with me. That's not how it works. Things like, once a week, take a break. Take a day off once a week. You weren't made to work 24-7 all the days of your life. Things like don't kill each other. Don't steal from each other. Like, like things that are for their good and for their benefit, God gave them these things. But, but here is what happened with them and what can tend to happen with us is God can give us um, uh, commands that are for our good, yet what we can do is we can start to divorce the intent behind the command and the motive behind the command from the command itself. And so it starts to become legalistic and it starts to become just rules. And we, dis, we um, divorce it from the relationship with God. And whenever you start to um, divorce the rules of God from the relationship of God, then all of a sudden you start to rebel against it. And that's why anytime my two-year-old daughter is in a time where we need to discipline her, where we need to hold her to a standard, where we need to correct her, afterwards, I'll always do the same thing. I'll, I'll lean down with her and have her come to me and I'll say, take my hands and I'll take her hands and I'll say, look me in the eyes. And she'll look me in the eyes and I'll tell her, hey, we want the best for you. We want what's good for you. Your mom and I love you, and that's the reason we do these things. Because I want her to know that we're not just arbitrarily punishing her. I don't want her to grow up thinking, my parents don't love me because they just punished me. I want her to grow up thinking that the reason we discipline her is because we love her, and because we want what's best for her. God knew that that was what was going to happen with the Ten Commandments, so God actually built in a reminder in the Ten Commandments to remind them why exactly he's given them these things. Believe it or not, the Ten Commandments do not start with, you shall have no other gods before me. There's actually something before it. Let's take a look. Exodus 20, verse 1 says this, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Then he gets into the Ten Commandments. What was God trying to do here? Before he got into any commandments, before he got into any um, rules, he wanted to remind them, listen, one, you're not doing this to be saved. I've already saved you. Same thing with us. If you're trying to live out the commands of God so God will save you, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. It doesn't work that way. God saves you, and then we live out his commands. And that's what happened here. God's letting them know, I saved you. I loved you. I already love you. That's not what these commands are for. And he's reminding them that I am God and I've saved you and I love you and all these are for your good. So everything after this, just remember that. Remember, I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you. He built in that reminder into it. And, and before uh, that leads us to the reminder that we need to give ourselves whenever we're living out this life in the wilderness. And that reminder is that we need to remind ourselves of what God has done in our lives. As we go into the wilderness and as we're called to sanctification and God is molding us and shaping us and, and disciplining us, um, it's going to get more and more difficult and actually 
contrary to popular opinion, uh, the life of a Christian is not a life free from struggle. Amen? Life of a Christian is not a life free from struggle. I love the way Ben Stewart puts it. He's a pastor and an author. And he says, with Christ, you haven't been freed from struggle. You've been freed to struggle. You haven't been freed from struggle. You've been freed to struggle. Again, before you were in your slavery and you, can just, you just submitted to whatever your sin takes you. And, and now that God has called you out of slavery, now we've been freed not to... Um, uh, not to have a life free from struggle, but that we might struggle with sin, that we might go to war with sin, that we might fight sin. And in the midst of that, there's going to be discipline and there's going to be um, a hardship with it. There's going to be temptation and we, we just need to struggle in and out with that. But yet, in the midst of that, not forget the purpose behind it, not forget the heart of God behind it and what he's done for us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 John 5, 3. It says this, it says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. As we go through this journey in the wilderness, as we're awaiting full redemption by God, it's going to get difficult. And as we experience the discipline, don't forget that behind it is the love of God and the goodness of God seeking out our best interests. If we don't remind ourselves of that, we'll start to think that the commands of God are burdensome and we'll start to rebel against him. So remind yourself of what God has done in your life in the wilderness. So one of the main reasons that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and through the wilderness was for them to get to the promised land. That was the main point. But something interesting happens when they actually arrive to the promised land uh, God tells them to send spies into the land to scout it out and see what's going on. And let's see what they said when they came back. This is Numbers 13, 27. So they reported, these are the spies, they reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruits. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. Now, what I find interesting here is that, that they confirm everything that God told them about the, the promised land. They go in, they say, yes, indeed, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is great. Here's some of the fruits to prove it. Yet immediately, they abandon all the joy that's in the land and start to focus on all the trials and tribulations and all the negatives in it. They say, like, but there's people there and they're great and, and we can't fight these people. We can't do it. And, and what they're forgetting in this moment is who has brought them here. God is the one that brought him here. God is the one that promised them this land all the way back, generations and generations, back to Abraham in Genesis 12, where the, the very start of the nation of Israel, God took Abraham to this land and said, hey, this land is for you and for your nation. I'm going to give it to you. And God is making good on his promise right now. And somehow they've just forgotten about that. Remember, these are the same Israelites who saw 10 plagues rain down on Egypt with God demonstrating his power over the Pharaoh and over the gods of Egypt. They saw God split the waters of the Red Sea and they walked through it completely dry and then it collapsed on the Egyptians and destroyed them. They saw God literally make bread out of nothing on the ground and provide them food. They saw God provide for them time and time and time and time again. And yet they think they're going to get to the promised land, the very place that God is leading them to. And God is just going to say, you're on your own. That was their mindset. 
They stopped focusing on the promises of God and they started focusing on all of the negatives and all the trials and all the tribulations. And what they needed to do is remind themselves of the promises of God, how God has been faithful in the past to fulfill his promises and allow that to propel them forward to be faithful to fulfill his promises in the present. And that leads us to our third point for when we're going through the wilderness is to remind yourself of the promises of God. What they need to do is to recall all of those times that God had provided miracles and provided for them and showed up for them. And in that, allow that to fuel their faith and their trust in God as they marched forward into the promised land. Scripture tells us to do this. Colossians 1.9 says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the spirit, or sorry, filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, I want to stop right there for a second and, and focus on that word filled right there. It says, it says you may be, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and wisdom and all understanding. Now, when we think of that word filled, we may think of like a cup being filled up with water up to the brim, and that's not a bad way to think about it. But the, the Greek word here is pleiro, and pleiro um, was often used to describe wind billowing up a sail on a ship and pushing the ship across the water. And so it's like, it's like the wind, the pleiro, fills up the sail and propels it forward. Now, if we were to read that kind of thinking onto this passage, now it kind of changes it. Instead of God is filling us up so that we, we might just be full, we read it as that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will to propel you, to push you forward. And so what is it pushing us forward to? It's like you may be filled to propel, to uh, filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk in uh, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. That's what the purpose of that is. And so what they need to do in that moment, if they're standing before an impossible task, what they don't need to do is pack up and go home what they need to do is remind themselves of who God is, remind themselves of what God has done, and remind themselves of what God is doing. Remind themselves of the will of God. And, and in that, it fills up their cells and pushes them forward into that issue. And, and likely, none of you are about to go you know, take captive a land and have to fight a war. Anyone? Hopefully not. Okay. But we all have issues, right? We are all going to experience issues. There might be health issues. It might be someone passing away in your life. It may be job issues. It might be family issues, friends issues, financial issues, spiritual issues. All these issues in your life. And, and what, what we're going to want to do is see all of the problems in front of us and just back down and say like, you know, God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm just heading back. But what God wants us to do is to remind ourselves of how he's been faithful in the past and allow that to propel us forward to know that he's going to be faithful in the future. Now, does that mean the situation is going to work out the way you want to? Not necessarily. But it does mean that God is faithful and true to hold his promises that he has given us. One of the dangers 
that we face is that if we fail to remind ourselves of these things, then we will slowly convince ourselves that it's better to abandon God than to go on the journey with him. It's amazing how they responded uh, in this passage. So they just told uh, the Israelites, hey, there's a lot of people over there. There is land flowing with milk and honey. God's brought us here, but there's a lot of people there. And, and this is how they responded. They, they started to you know, do the normal. They said, why would God bring us out here to die? It's good to just you know, die in Egypt, so on and so forth. Like They say that about 50 times throughout uh, their time in the wilderness. But here's the interesting thing. Numbers 14.3. They say this, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and little children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Careful church, here's one of the warnings I want to give you. First Corinthians 10, remember it said that these things happened, it might be an example to us. Be careful, if you lose sight of where you came from, if you lose sight of everything that God's done for you, if you lose sight of what God is doing in your life, taking you and promising you, then you are going to come to the conclusion that life is better if you just abandon God, appoint yourself as a leader, and head back into slavery. And I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. God loves you. He has freed you to be free from sin and to come into his glorious redemption. Let me pray that we do that. God, we come to you today thankful for everything that you've given us in our life. And, and while we're in this intermediary time in our life where, where we are saved, yet we are awaiting your salvation, where we're redeemed, yet we're awaiting your redemption, where we're free from our sin, yet we're still fighting sin. God, as we hang out in this time, Lord, be a guide to us. Help us know where to go. I pray, God, that, that in the times of trouble and the times of good, that we would remind ourselves of everything that you've done in our lives. That we wouldn't be soon to forget the goodness that you've poured out on us. That we wouldn't be soon to forget the blessings that you've poured out on us. And even when life gets tough, we know, God, that you are good and that, that you are there and that you love us. I don't know what issues people are facing in this room today, but they may seem daunting and they may want to just pack up and just call it quits. But Lord, I pray that the knowledge of your will might fill them and propel them forward with patience and endurance. That they may walk in a manner worthy of you. We're going to move into a time of invitation. And really this time is just for, for you to be able to respond however God is calling you to. I don't know where you are. You may be one of those people that's in the middle of an issue. You may be a person that, that you have forgotten what God has done for you and you maybe just need to sit there and pray or come up here and pray and just remind yourself of all the goodness that God has given you. Maybe you're a person that, and you're saying like, I'm not even in the wilderness. 
I'm stuck back in slavery. I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never been freed from the sin of my life. I'm still held captive by the bondage and the despair and the emptiness and the brokenness and the destruction that's causing all my life. And you may just be saying, I wanna just give my life to Jesus. I just wanna trust him and allow him to, to free me. Not that I might be freed from struggle, that, but that I might be free to struggle in him. However God is calling you, this is the time that we wanna give you to respond to that. Can we all stand? We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing a song. And again, whatever God's calling you to do, you do. You can come up here and pray. You can pray where you are. You can come up here. We'd love to talk to you about whatever God is leading you. Let's sing.